a podcast. Did your radio show get canceled? Fire, fire, fire. Low down and filthy, but the discipline is on point. Schooled myself, made my own dojo. A cold flow with the whole dose of soul. Maintain composure, even in fury. An anomaly, properties under This week on the Pizza Planner Show, man, we have three very, very different segments for you. We have four segments. So four very different segments. At first, we're going to tackle, I got a question from my USA Today column this week on life insurance. So we're going to talk about that. The next segment, we're going to talk about truly one of my biggest pet peeves on the planet and probably yours too. You just probably don't know there's a name for it. In segment three, we're going to talk about actually one of my biggest pet peeves in the financial industry. We're going to talk about uh, 401k rollovers and why financial advisors love them so much and what you should do if you leave a job and go to another job. Should you take your 401k with you? And then finally, of course, our fourth segment, biggest waste of money of the week. So here's the email. I oh hi Nicole, welcome, hi, welcome thank back. Thank you. Uh, it's good to be back in in my studio here. In your studio. Oh man, thanks for holding it down, buddy, for the hey. last couple months here without me. My pleasure, pal. I've been in hotel rooms, and it's as creepy as it sounds. Moving on. Here's the email. Dear Pete, I'm 57 years old. My kids are grown and out of the house, and I really uh, don't feel like I need all the life insurance I once carried. I currently have five hundred thousand dollars worth of life insurance. But once the kids moved out and I fully funded my retirement income strategy, the half million seems excessive. It's just my wife and I now, and we have plenty of money set aside for retirement. Should I keep it just in case? Uh, It's term insurance, and it's about to increase in price. This is from Michael in Houston, Texas. Houston. I love this question. And by the way, how many people want to someday have the right and the privilege to say, I don't need my life insurance anymore. No one wants life insurance. I mean, people want you to have life insurance, but no one wants uh, themselves to have life insurance because it does a couple things. Number one, you're, you're betting this money that uh, you're going to die. It's like, I'm going to buy this because I'm going to die. So in itself, you're, you're admitting your mortality, which is not fun to do. It's important to do, not fun to do. In, you know, as much as I know when I die, I will set my uh, family up for life because that's the way it's structured. As much as I know that, I have very little pleasure in that. And by very little pleasure, I mean zero pleasure. None. Well, actually, I do. But I think of it this way. It's like uh, there will be a party, and I'm not going to get invited. And there's going to be really good food there because there'll be a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so Michael in Houston, his situation is this. He's, he's, he's fully funded all the things that need to fund it. He, 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 kids are out of the house. So that's your main liability when you got young kids. That's why you need a bunch of life insurance because if you die and you're not there to earn the money to fund college, then you can blow up their situation pretty fast. Um, now, I know some people will disagree with me and say it's not a parent's responsibility to fund their kids' college education if they die. Great, that's how you feel. I feel differently. I'll go with my way. Uh, and of course, his wife you know, they, they have this life together. They got married. They've been married, presumably, for a very long time. And if one of them dies along the journey, then the other person's retirement is not at all what had been planned out. Essentially, what I'm saying is when you die with a growing family, when you die when you're a parent of a growing family, it is not a blip on the radar for the other parent. It, it just isn't. I know 
when we talk about this and, and calculate it on paper and to say, well, you know, we dot this I and cross this T, it'll all be okay. Eventually the person can go back to work. We're talking about the most traumatic experience of a person's life. So we're going to go through a horrible exercise that no one ever listening to the radio wants to do or anyone with ears that hears anything at all wants to do. <laughs> I want you to think of, uh, presumably if you've not had a, a, a spouse die, okay? So this, this uh, right, I told you, let's, let's assume your spouse has not passed away. I want you to now think of the worst thing that has actually ever happened to you. Uh, <laughs> this is great radio. This, this is really amazing. Is. I We've need a drink. Really outdone ourselves. We need drinks. <laughs> Um, and now I want you to think, man, when my spouse says it's going to be that much worse, man, that was good. Wasn't it? This is such good radio. Here's my point. You're not going to want to deal with dotting I's and crossing T's so you can make ends meet. You just aren't as a former financial advisor, who's been through eight or nine of these things where I've been there to help pick up the pieces for people that both did and didn't have life insurance. Uh, let me tell you, in every circumstance, it is the worst thing anyone's ever been to uh, through, and we're all going to go through it. And how uplifting is that? But it's true. <laughs> and the only way it's, it's rem you know, remotely um, something you can get through is that there's life insurance there because it allows each person to breathe. It allows your survivors to breathe. What a horrible conversation. However... Michael is through all of that. It is wonderful. He, he doesn't have to worry about that ever again, because really, if you don't have a fully funded retirement, even if your kids are out of the house, you need life insurance because if you die before you fund your retirement, then your, your, your spouse of decades is just sitting there going, well, that didn't work out for me. Guess I'm going on to match.com. Like, what do you want them to do? But again, Michael doesn't have to worry about that. Now, there are other reasons that individuals have life insurance. So it is important for someone like Michael to go through those reasons to see if any of those reasons pertain to him. And I don't know if they do, but here are the different reasons to cover specific debts. Doesn't seem like that's a thing for him. Tax planning strategy. Again, I don't know how well prepared he is for retirement, but that could arguably good, be a good thing for him. Charitable giving. Look, I, I got to be honest, part of my uh, life insurance strategy is when I'm, did you hear that sound? Mm -hmm. That was dead. I like how that's your sound for death. Yeah. It's also uh, pass me a beer. Yeah. If I'm yeah. with my buddies, I'm like, that means hand me a beer or I'm, I just died. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. They have to look. I want, I want really engaged friendships, <laughs> bromances. Um, anyway. Part of my life insurance strategy is that there's there's charity involved. There's organizations that I, I, I like to leverage insurance to have them be the, the benefactor of. Um, then also uh, wealth uh, beneficiary of. Did I say benefactor? I did. Uh, wealth transfer obviously is a good reason for life insurance. If it's important for you to create generational wealth, by all means, have a bunch of life insurance. It is not important to me at all to create generational wealth. I don't particularly care for that. Uh, but that's your own choice of, of what you want to do. And then... And this is where it gets a little weird again, because it's why not start off the show with super weirdness this week since I'm back in my studio wearing a little denim jacket you can see on pizzaplanner.tv. It's a cute little piece. Um, final expenses. Final expenses are another reason to have life insurance. Since we actually don't get to determine how our final chapter is written, that was a euphemism for being dead. Um, sometimes it's long and drawn out and sometimes it's not. You are going to need money at the end of your life to settle your bill for good. You just are. Whether in your box, a big box, a little box, I don't know. You're going to need money. 
And back in the day, you could get away with that for like 10, 20,000 bucks. Not so much now. I think most people need somewhere, most middle to middle upper class folks need fifty to $100,000 of life insurance to make sure that their estates are completely settled out. Especially if you consider that, again, sometimes it's a long drawn out process in which a lot of medical bills are incurred and difficulties are had. So I like to see most people with fifty dollars to $100,000. So what Michael should do, and if you happen to be like Michael and you don't feel like you need all the life insurance you have now, you don't need it going forward, he needs to convert $500,000 down to like $100,000. So he's got a term policy. He should go to his insurance company and see if he's still under the conversion umbrella. How about that for a good jargon for you this week? Conversion umbrella, Nicole, was the name of my garage band in high school. Was it really? Yeah, conversion umbrella. No, it wasn't. Uh, but he should see if he's still in the conversion period. And if he is, all he would have to do is do a partial conversion. And then the good part about that, why you would want to always convert a life insurance from term to permanent in this scenario, is because then he won't have to uh, medically requalify for the coverage. Let's say, and let's just, let's just take it all the way dark. Uh, Michael was in good health for a good time. Um, but now all of a sudden, Michael has cancer. Right. And so, I know we're just, but it's, it's tells for illustrative purposes. Michael probably would not be able to get life insurance right now. If he went out and bought it off the street, if he has cancer, but because he's got a conversion privilege, he doesn't have to requalify medically. He will get the insurance as though he's perfectly healthy. See, Nicole, that does make sense. It does make sense. So you kind of brought it like back around. Now we're okay. Again. Why are we going so dark today? I don't know. I was just going to say, geez, we bring it back into the studio for one day. I'm so excited. I got so much energy. I'm like, I'm not in a hotel for God's sakes. Although I will be next week. Oh, oh. oh man. I can't get out. Two weeks. No one knows. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. Oh. So bottom line is this, Michael, you need $100,000 probably of coverage. You don't need 500,000. Convert it. Uh, they will update your age clearly because you let's say you bought the coverage when you're 37. You're now 57. So you're going to have to pay for a 57-year-old's permanent life insurance policy. However, here's the good news. Uh, it will be based on your health at age 37 if you have that conversion privilege. If you don't, then... Uh, that nurse is back to your house, you're doing whatever in a cup and they're drawing your blood and it's not great. And by whatever in a cup, let's move on. All right, coming up after the break, my biggest pet peeve in all of consumerism, like as a consumer, not like I'm not angry at other people's consumerism, which is also you know possible with me because you just never know. As a consumer, what we are talking about in the next segment drives me insane. It is why I don't think I will ever fully trust corporate America. Uh, it, is, it is the biggest sham, scam, wool pullover, all of our eyes of all time. Now that's a tease. See me back here in a couple minutes and we'll talk about what it is. I'm Pete the Planner. Stop what you're doing. Log on. And hit Pete up on Twitter at Pete the Planner. Question the right of any man. The voice his opinion as strong as any can. But then again, many men are citizens of their own little world, so they ain't really fitting in. I'm in the background blending in. Camouflaged by the scenery, but I'm a champion. Revamp the camp again. Put down the stamp again. Back on the Pete the Planner show. You were waiting for it. 
my biggest pet peeve as a consumer. Are you ready? Are you ready? I want everyone listening right now, if you can, without compromising your safety, to pick up your smartphone. I'm going to assume for most people it's an iPhone. Just statistics would suggest that. Uh, Nicole, you're listening to the room. I assume you have your iPhone handy because yes. you know America. I'm a millennial. Uh, I, I'm not a millennial by any way. Uh, I want you to uh. pick up your iPhone. I want you to turn it over, and I want you to look at the bottom of your iPhone. Okay, so if you're watching on PeteThePlanner.tv, the bottom of the iPhone where your lightning port is. Okay. Very specific. I want you to look and look at the screws right next to the lightning port. Um, I kind of can. Do you see them? Yeah, I see them. They're, they're a weird head to them. They've got a weird head. Is it a Phillips? No, 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 no. It's called a pentalobe screw. What? A pentalobe screw. Wait, no, why do you know this? Well, I because this is my biggest pet peeve. No. There's a reason why you need something called a pentalobe screwdriver to open your iPhone. And it has to do with this concept called planned obsolescence. Planned obsolescence is a strategy that corporate America has used for years to create products with a lifespan that is shorter than what could be produced, even at a reasonable price, in order to make you purchase something later. Again, there's several different examples of this, several different uh, uh, types of this. And this has come to my attention yet again, because right now, uh, Dyson, which is the fancy sucky company, right? Is that what they call it? Is that their, their <laughs> the vacuum company? The fancy sucky company. Why didn't they go with Fancy Saki Company? Because I don't like Saki makes them sound like that they're not great. Well, look, I'm not in marketing. So the Dyson Company, the, the Fancy Suckers, uh, LG, which makes everything, right? And Wall, W-A-H-L. They make like trimmers for hair. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Back when I had hair, uh, that was appealing. <laughs> anyway, um, they don't want consumers to be able to fix the products when they break. So what they've done is they refused to manufacture uh, parts and offer those parts direct consumers to fix the things that break. They only allow authorized repair shops to fix these. Why? It's a form of an oligopoly. Like it is a form of controlling markets so much so that um lg is currently in a battle with uh legislators in illinois to outlaw the practice of consumers repairing their own goods what? here's a letter to representative harris i don't know who representative harris is i should probably know um he is or she is Nice catch there. How about that? Oh, my gosh. Wow. That was gross of me. Uh, he or she is uh, obviously in the House of Representatives in Illinois. Here is the letter to Representative Harris. As a leading home appliance manufacturer with major operations in Illinois, including our appliance R&D center in Buffalo Grove, LG Electronics USA strongly urges that HB 4747, that would be House Bill 4747 in Illinois, an act concerning the servicing and repair of digital electronic products be withdrawn from consideration by the Consumer Protection Committee 
and the Illinois House of Representatives. Home appliance manufacturers are continuously innovating in order to make better and more functionally convenient products for consumers. This includes ensuring that consumers have access to highly educated and trained and certified repair technicians. LG works to not only ensure that authorized repair providers are properly trained and certified, we also take necessary precautions so that when a repair provider enters a private home that the homeowner as well as the property are safe and secure. The fact that repair providers enter consumers' homes to conduct appliance repairs presents a different set of circumstances regarding the repair of digital electronic equipment, end quote. Nicole, here's what they're doing. They want to continue for you to have your television break and for you to go, you know what? It's probably just cheaper to buy another one. No. You know how, you know, you've said that. Oh. I've said that. I've said said that in the last two months. Uh, and I've just decided to like rock with the broken TV because I'm just, I can't do it. No. Um, they want to have you in that scenario and they're doing it under the guise of a repairman coming into your house and physically harming you. No. That is disgusting. No. Oh. I cannot stand planned obsolescence. No. Uh, in the same spirit that iPhones, Apple, uh, decided to slow down everyone's phone with uh, two or three operating system upgrades. Uh, do you remember this? Like a few months ago. Yeah. When the new phones came out, they slowed down everyone's phones that already had phones so that people would get frustrated and go buy new phones. Uh, exactly what I ended up having to do because my phone no longer worked like a phone. Let me tell you this. We built our house in 2007. We have toilets in that home. You have toilets in that home? Yeah. No way. Yeah, indoor plumbing. They are, uh, I believe, Mansfield stools, as they say in the biz. They're from Mansfield. Here's what I know. Uh, I think I actually talked about it on the show a few weeks ago. We, we had an issue with yes. said stool. Yes. I went and got a 79-cent piece at the hardware store and fixed it, and now it's fixed. That's the way this should work. Yeah. But Mansfield doesn't say, well, we're going to only manufacture things and then quit releasing those parts. That way people... No. They're a wonderful manufacturer. They've got my all of my toilet needs in mind. They're so thoughtful. They're thoughtful of my needs to toilet myself. <laughs> and we're all worked up in the denim jacket. And, and I'm all worked up in this denim jacket I'm wearing today. Ooh. But do you see my point with planned obsolescence? Like, I find it to be a violation of a relationship between a manufacturer and a consumer. And, you know, as the owner of a business who offers products and services... You better believe that I keep this in mind in, in a way that I will never go to our customers and, and offer them something that makes what they have uh, obsolete and it forces them to buy a new one. It's the same reason why I've only once uh, created a second version of the same book, but it was so much bigger and better. I just liked the title of the book. The first one stunk. I wrote another one. But I will never do a second edition of one of our books because what, it, what in the publishing business, what that does is just, just, just completely, it's the same book. It's the same book with like three new pages. And I will never do that because plain obsolescence is a violation of the pact that humans have with each other. You tell them, Pete. I'm all fired up. I need to take a break. This was like your Let Me Be Frank episode. I'm upset. Coming up after the break, uh, we're going to talk about 401k rollovers. Like, when should you do it? When should you not? It's not as cut and dry as you think. Uh, and, of course, in the, the fourth segment, the biggest waste of money of the week. And since it's the NFL draft, 
I have some thoughts on professional athletes and their money being someone who used to manage uh, the money of professional athletes. So all that is next. Coming up, rollovers right here on the Pete the Planner Show. I am Pete the Planner. Mr. Kinetic, Rusty Redenbacher, ATFU, Naptown, yeah. Cashing in like the end of the game at the casino. I lean so the glare of the rear view don't hit me. Swiftly through the avenues and boulevards. Old soul playing on my speakers. Old soul but young and age of all player. Not from the Himalayas, but my fam gave me every Indiana game. Grew up around the country, but the mindset was there. Ain't uh, one of the most common questions I get on a regular basis is, hey, I'm leaving my job. What do I do with my 401k, I mean, if you see a billboard as you're driving down any interstate in this country, you're gonna see a sign that says rollovers, question mark, give me a call. And it's some local financial advisor who wants to roll over your 401k. Well, what does that all mean? Should you roll over your 401k and so much more? And to help us discuss this, I welcome Sarah Krapik, who's an education specialist at Strategic Retirement Partners, SRP. Hey, Sarah, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. You get this question a lot too. Like, hey, I'm leaving my job or I am, uh, I'm at my new job and I got an old 401k. Should I leave it alone? Should I cash it out? Should I uh, bring it over to the new plan? Should I put it in an IRA? This is a question you get, right? All the time. One of the most common questions we get from participants. And I think it's one of those questions too that, and, and uh, honestly, right, financial advisors love to hear asked because in, in many respects, sometimes it's the opportunity for a financial advisor to begin a relationship with you because then they can begin uh, to start to manage your money. But but it can't be that simple, Sarah. How does someone begin to even break down what they should do with an old retirement plan? Okay, great. And Pete, you're exactly right. Often we are coached by various media. You mentioned the, the famous billboard. We've all seen it. Um, and not only that, but we are maybe enticed or uh, contacted by wealth managers to talk about rolling out into IRAs, especially when we're in times of transition. But keep in mind that uh, you have a couple options when you're switching jobs, and some of them are good options. Uh, one in particular that I want to warn against is a very bad option, and that is cashing out your plan, right? So. Oh, yeah. As long as we've established that you have moved on beyond the decision of cashing out in transition and you're truly considering a rollover, um, first thing you want to think about is that you don't have to make a quick decision, okay? Uh, there are many parties in our industry who want to make you believe that you have to make a decision. You may get letters or emails trying to persuade you to roll over your balance into an IRA, but uh, I would encourage all participants to take their time. Uh, keep in mind, if you have more than $5,000 in a 401k plan, it's illegal for you to be forced out of that plan. Yeah, so that for many of us in transition, the best option is just to stay put for a little while, right? And that's an important element because a lot, what a lot of people experience is they're going to get a letter 
in the mail if they've got less than $5,000 that says pick an option fast because if you don't, we're going to send you a check for, for whatever's, you know, whatever your balance is, if it's less than $5,000. And, and, and Sarah, that can come as a shock to some people, especially if it's the second time it happens and they have more than $5,000 and they assume they're going to get a check for whatever's their account. But uh, you can't get a check for more automatically if you've got more than five grand. It's sort of just a weird nuanced rule. I don't know why they do it, but that's the way it's done. I don't know. It's very confusing. And once again, your average 401k plan participant isn't necessarily well versed in all these rules, no, right? No. So you can be confused, you can be kind of, uh, you can feel forced into a decision. But in any case, you can leave the money in the 401k until you decide your next best step and make an informed decision. Uh, you know, for most of us, when we leave one job, hopefully we have a plan to go to another job. And hopefully one of your company benefits will be a 401k retirement plan at your new job. And more often than not, Pete, the wisest decision is to take your money with you from job to job and roll it right into your next 401k plan. And let's, let's, um, let's talk about that. So based on what? Because from, from the way I've always thought about it is it, it's fees and it's investment options. So uh, if, you're, if you're choosing between two plans, if you can somehow quantify fees, oh, by the way, we can quantify fees. And if so, we can somehow quantify your fund options and the quality of those, shouldn't the decision be based on that and that alone? Or you're saying my current job's 401k is somehow by default the preferred option? If so, why is that? Well, so you're right. Both fees and investment options play a big role, uh, and comparing the two is really important exercise to go through when you're evaluating, you know, staying in your old plan versus moving to your new plan. A lot of people, though, have a lot of trepidation about trying to go through that exercise on their own, right? It's fear. I don't know how to evaluate my 401k plan fees. I don't know the first thing about investment options. How am I supposed to decide what's better or, you know, what's worse. So bear in mind, there are a ton of resources out there for plan participants, whether that be an advisor, uh, a plan advisor, like we are here at SRP. We're just waiting to help participants evaluate these types of decisions and walk them through an analysis. The providers out there, uh, you may be familiar, of course, with principal, fidelity, empower, and others, can also help an employee understand what their fees and investment options are. So it's really important to look at those two factors, but there's a third factor in there uh, that I want everyone to consider as well. And that is just the administrative ease of keeping your money well organized and in one place, okay? Um, I meet with a lot of pre-retirees so we're age 55 plus, you're cruising in towards your last, you know, 10, 12 working years, and you're trying to get organized and understand what you have saved for retirement. A lot of these people don't even recall what accounts they have from their 40 years of working, right? Um, you know, they may have lost track of the money. They may have not checked up on the investment options in a while, and that becomes very difficult to make 
holistic, well-informed financial decisions as you're transitioning from working to retirement. So if the investment options and the fees are a coin flip in terms of what may or may not be better for you, I would encourage people to consider a rollover just to ease the administrative burden of keeping track of so many accounts. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. I think people, uh, as a rule of thumb, are, are really disorganized with their finances. And when you consider about a, a person's 45-year career, and, and Sarah even sent me this, a person changes times eight plus, or pay, changes jobs eight plus times in their career, uh, mm-hmm. staying organized and just making it a practice to, if, if fees and investment options are sort of a crapshoot, they're, they're, they're more or less the same thing between the two, then then yeah, bringing it to the new plan makes a lot of sense. And there's another important distinction you, you made too. Not every retirement plan necessarily has a great or even any retirement plan advisor to help with some of these decisions. You know, the platform themselves, Fidelity, One America, Empower, whoever, you know, sometimes they don't have people in place to help you. That is why a retirement plan advisor, specifically, Sarah, you know, the folks at SRP, um, that's why if you have one of those, it's so important to engage with them uh, as the employee to engage with this plan advisor because um, you're able to get this assistance. And, and by the way, I don't want to say it's free because there are fees within the plan. Another way to say it is you're already paying for it. You might as well get the advice. Is that a fair way to say it? Absolutely fair. And, you know, we, one of the best things that we do is offer participant education opportunities. I think sometimes people shy away from those because, you know, obviously they're, you know, busy and they're focused on the the job at hand. But if you can take 30 minutes out of your workday once or twice a year to sit down and have a uh, financial conversation with somebody who has your best interest in mind, why wouldn't you take advantage of that opportunity? Uh, and no question within that conversation is too silly, right? Um, so fees, investment uh, options, rollovers are all great, great topics to discuss if you have the opportunity to sit down with an advisor. You know, it's funny, the two things that most people, that are the most important in a person's life, their health and then their financial stability. It's funny how those are the two things that, in which most people have a fundamental misunderstanding of the mechanics of those things. Like the idea that, that we don't understand our health and how to stay healthy. And by the way, we also don't understand how to maintain the behaviors on how to do that. And then, you know, you look at, well, oh, I have hundreds of thousands of dollars to save for retirement. I couldn't tell you what it's in. Uh, Sarah, that's not a healthy mindset. And that's why meeting with a, with a retirement plan advisor who's uh, there in your retirement plan work can make so much sense because it just really puts that control back in the uh, employee's hands. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We're shying away from meeting with people financially and we're shying away from our doctor's appointments and those may be the two most important appointments you have all year and if you go into that meeting pete and you don't know what to ask tell them that say hey i have no idea what to ask you what should i be asking you right now and it won't be the first time that we hear that in that given business day and that's okay yeah that's actually one of my favorite questions to ask another professional when I'm the consumer. I ask that question all the time, what am I supposed to be asking? Because I have no idea what the heck's going on here. 
Uh, so, mm -hmm. Sarah, thank you so much. Sarah Krapik, Education Specialist at Strategic Retirement Partners. You can learn more about them at SRP Retire. That's Strategic Retirement Partners, srpretire.com. Sarah, thank you so much. Thank you, Pete. Coming up after the break, the BWAM, the biggest waste of money of the week. Do you like space? Do you like beer? How about some beer brewed in space? That's this week's biggest waste of money of the week, and it's next here on the Pete the Planner Show. Every day living through the peace of my soul, I remain whole even in the middle of the pain. Even though my life has the rain, I still remain sane, writing and creating for my life. And my pen is my sword given by the Lord, and I use it to fight the tides of restriction. Sometimes I'm conflicted by myself looking at the trees too much and can't see the forest. Enemies shall inherit the earth, and I want to inherit something, something other than the high blood pressure and diabetes. So work is what I got to do. Stay true to my enemy and water the trees that I sing from and look out for the lumberjacks. Running with the gale force wind at my back. Swift and enduring, I remain calm. Swift and enduring, I remain calm. Swift and enduring, I remain calm. This lays great errors to rest. Let me remain calm. This week's biggest waste of money of the week here on the Pete the Planner Show is Vostok Space Beer. Yes, Vostok space beer you heard me right future space travel adventures will include beer at least they should but in zero gravity conditions our senses are altered so drinks taste different and pouring them is another problem entirely as you can imagine vostok space beer is a collaboration between four pines brewery and saber astronautics in australia the beer itself was brewed with a zero-gravity environment in, uh, in mind using a dry Irish-style stout recipe while a special insert was created in the bottle that wicks the beer from the bottom to the neck, providing enough surface tension so you can drink Vostok directly from the bottle in space. Nicole, you might be wondering, how much does a bottle of space beer cost? I'm are you, are you wondering? My, I am. I'm on the edge of my seat. I, I understand that you want to know. <laughs> I do. And I'm going to tell you. Please. It's $279. What? Yeah. Can I, uh, can I recommend something different? Yeah. You buy a case of Natty Light for like $9.99. A case of Natural Light is $9.99. And you drink all of them. And you will feel like you're in space. <laughs> and it's a lot <laughs> cheaper. Oh, that's bad advice. Don't do what I just said. Okay. So this week, uh, this weekend is the NFL draft. Now, for those that don't know, which would be pretty much everyone, I used to manage money for professional athletes as part of what I did as a financial advisor. The stories are interesting and sad and everything in between. And, and I think sometimes as people who are not professional athletes like you and me, uh, it's easy for us to be very dismissive of the problems and the challenges and the behavior um, challenges uh, of being a professional athlete and having the money they have. But here's how I'd like you to think about it, right? In the spirit of uh, a bunch of people about to get really rich this weekend, the average pro athlete's career, uh, average NFL athlete's career, I believe is just under four years, right? So 
whatever their career earnings are on average lasts about four years. And, and again, I, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, they can just find something to do after that. So I'm not going to feel sorry for them because they made a, a bunch of money in four years and then that they don't have anything. To, they can figure out something to do after that. Okay, it's a, it's a fair argument. But I want you to consider this. Whatever you uh, set your mind to, to do for a career, and by the way, yes, this is me defending professional athletes. So let's go ahead and I'll just give you the email address now so you can start writing. Ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. Of course, subject line is what it always should be. You're a dummy. So ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. Here's the thing. You have a 45-year earning window for your career, and you may earn a couple million dollars over the course of that career. These athletes uh, may, if you only make it four years in the league, it's likely you only make a couple million dollars in those four years. Sure, you've just cut 41 years off of your sort of career lifespan, and you could go do something else. But let's be completely honest. Most of these professional athletes, from the time they were in sixth or seventh grade, they've been 100% focused, most of them, on, on making it to the highest level of sport, to have that career. So to, to suggest, well, it's over, now you can go you know, work at Jimmy John's or, or whatever else you're gonna do, it's a little insincere to suggest that it's that easy. I have uh, several friends that are, are former professional athletes. Some of them have transitioned well. Some of them have done the opposite of transitioning well. It, it's just not a, a pretty thing. When you also consider that the average NFL player only gets paid 17 times a year, 17 times a year, which matches up with every Sunday or every game that they play over the course of a season, including the bye week, uh, which also suggests that there's 35 weeks in a row in which they don't receive any compensation whatsoever. I urge you, I urge you to do the math on your own financial situation and see what your income paid over 17 weeks in a row, and then not paid for 35 weeks in a row, how would you react to that? Right, so this is not woe is thee, or woe is ye, or woe is they, no one knows. There's no woeing. My, my point is simple. Um, there's a lot on the line this weekend for these guys, and I, I'm always rooting for them because um, for, for, some, for some of these guys, it's a chance to change their family forever. Uh, I have a couple friends, again, who, who have successfully, successfully transitioned from professional sports into uh, other ventures, business, and, and whatnot, and it has been a great pleasure to watch. I love it. It's fascinating because not only have they set up their family uh, for generations to come with their, with their wise ways, but they've also made a big mark in the community. You know what, Nicole, this reminds me, you know who we're going to have to have on the show? No, who are we going to have to have? On we're going to have to have. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it in case he says no, and then we're left holding the bag of feeling awkward. But this gives us leverage. Oh, it does. I like yeah. the way you think. Thank you. But you know, he was in the office a couple months ago. You know what I'm thinking about? I do. Don't say it. So we'll. I will. Can, 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 you know what? There you go, Nicole. Can we reach out to him? Yeah. Have a little pro athlete edition of the show. Have that guy on. We're writing shows while we're recording a show. It's that. Easy. You know, when I, when I used to manage uh, uh, money for professional athletes, here, here's more or less how we would do it, okay? So anytime you'd get paid, you would push all your money into a fund. Now, this already sounds shady. It does. It? Man, this sounds shady. 
push all of your money into a fund, especially if you're a high round draft pick or you get a big signing bonus or you're getting a big contract. Let's say you put $5 million or whatever, $2 million, doesn't matter, over into a fund. And then every time you get paid, all the money goes into this fund and you essentially are paid a salary for the rest of your life off of that money. So for example, if you had $5 million set aside in a fund, then you would be paid $250,000 for the rest of your life based on that initial five million bucks. Even if you never put another five or any, any more money towards that. That's how a lot of times professional athletes work with their financial advisors to, to have a realistic lifestyle for good. Now, if you, if you live in a city like Indianapolis or somewhere in the Midwest where 250,000 more or less makes you a Rockefeller, it's a pretty darn good plan. Yeah. Now, if you're working out of Washington, D.C. or the Bay Area or something like that, given $250,000 for the rest of your life, not such a great plan. Nah. Not such a great. And by the way, when I was doing this was over 10 years ago. So salaries were a lot different then. Uh, I think it's a lot easier for a professional athlete to have $10 million set aside and could still live on a half a million dollars a year based on that 5% rule that a lot of financial advisors use specifically for professional athletes. But we've all seen the stories of, you know, mid-level players blowing through 70 or 80 million dollars over the course of their careers primarily nba players and that's a it's a horrific thing it, it's very quickly we lose all of our empathy when we read those stories although we shouldn't because we all have our own special challenges that's it this week for the Pete the planner show well hopefully we'll have a football and money edition coming up in the next several weeks that well, sounds nice I, that's a title again tyler just wrote itself I, that did. I like it. It makes it easy. It does. I'm so glad to be back in my studio. I've been on the road for two months. I've been doing this show out of hotel rooms via my computer. So it's so nice to have my, my SM7B, my beautiful mic, back in my face. Uh, so thanks for listening. Uh, if you missed any part of the show, go watch it on PeteThePlanner.tv. You get to see my snaggy, snazzy jean jacket. I know it's a little weird. Uh, go watch it now. PeteThePlanner.tv or go to PeteThePlanner.com slash podcast. This is the Pete the Planner Show reminding you, sending you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner. If you want to be on this podcast and have Pete fix your money right, then hit us up at PeteThePlanner.com slash podcast. You heard me. PeteThePlanner.com slash podcast. Log on. This is for information purposes only. It's not the Swiss financial planning the flights. Consult eventual devices. Salutations, I bring you love trying greetings from a far away land. I am the soul controller. Put the remote down and let me take control. You're now a part of my zone, so enjoy yourself. Love trying can restore your health. I bring you greetings. Uh, salutations, how you doing? And is that how y'all say it? The tinkling of the keys is an homage to the little, little star. I sojourn over poetic descriptions of sound and travel to my other world. Out of this world, spaceship on my arm took me home, filled by the ink and the megabytes and the hypertext transfer protocol stronger than the Skynet and the Terminator. I push faders into warp speed, glide with ease, creating a breeze they call a black hole, event horizon, no rear view concerns. This I adjourn, in beats I burn, this I adjourn, in beats I burn, I burn, I burn, I burn.
salutations. I bring you love, try and greet from a far away land. I am the sole controller. Put the remote down and let me take control. You're now a part of my zone, so enjoy yourself. Love, try can restore your health. I bring you greetings, uh, salutations. How you doing? And is that how y'all say it?